0: This morning we have a, a guest with us. Uh, his name is John Opgenorth. John is the president of Words of Hope. Words of Hope is a really cool ministry that brings the gospel to places where uh, it's hard for people to go. And so uh, it goes uh, there by radio often. But uh, they are, they're doing some really cool things all around the world. And John said a really cool thing I thought this morning to me. He's like, I don't want this morning, this message to be an infomercial for Words of Hope. Go see him afterwards if you want. He'll give you the infomercial for Words of Hope. He loves the ministry, uh, but he just wants to bring the Word of God to us this morning, and so he's going to do that. Uh, and so, John, great message this morning from First Corinthians 12, and uh, just just really uh, g- glad to have you here and to have you as a friend. It's been fun to get to know you over the last few months. Uh, Brian Borsma, many of you, if you, you remember Paul Borsma, he was our, the youth pastor here many years ago. His nephew, Brian, is also on staff there. So we're learning more. Uh, Words of Hope is a, is a long-standing ministry, and uh, we're just glad to have you here. Um, so they're serving all over the world, but we're going to see a video this morning that shows us one of the places, some of the cool things that God is doing through Words of Hope. So John, thanks for being here.
1: It's been just 60 years that God has opened the door for gospel in this country. It's been just 60 years. God is working here. Nepal's situation is not as it was before. Slowly it's changing in both ways, positive and negative. People are more receptive, but the government and the constitution, there are lots of problems, no? The only uh, fear is if they openly, publicly believe and you know, come to faith, then they are outcast from the society that is the only thing which is holding them back actually while people are becoming
2: christian in the multitude leaders are not being born overnight so when the young church is asking for good strong leadership they're not finding it in many places the resources in Kathmandu in our local church is all just tightly packed here we can only be here at one time so media helps us multiply that resource
1: Radio is the very effective way because roads are not constructed well, there aren't proper means of transportation. Most of the Nepal is villages and people don't have internet facilities. It's hard for people to go to the places where the message is being preached, but they can listen to the radio. Where we are not uh, being able to reach the medias there. There are many kind of tribes around Nepal, and they have their own ethnic language, but beautiful part is that they also understand Nepali. My job is to edit Pastor Urban's Saturday sermon and create a radio program of 30 minutes to give it to the radio stations. From radio, one sermon, can reach you know, countless peoples. The studio
2: has been a great blessing for us to be able to record a lot of our talk shows and music. And we bring in experts, even make creative productions so that the people in the villages, in uh, remote places can listen to that and, and learn from that because they can't go to Bible college or they can't go attend seminars and trainings so often. So when I preach in church, I have two focus. One is the immediate context, you know, people listening to me. But I preach not only to them, but I preach through them to the radio audience because I realize that leaders in the villages need to hear this message, and how would they learn? How would they see the Christian and Reformed worldview play into effect as they lead their communities?
1: This is our goal, to see God's kingdom extending in this country through media and then one day the whole Nepal and Nepali community will accept Christ and surely we will see the God's kingdom here in Nepal. Our
2: mission is to become disciples who make disciples. My job is to see that leaders are raised uh, because otherwise he can't multiply, he can't go very far. We wanna see that young people are capturing this vision and if we can train them and teach them to see the world the way God wants us to see, then they're going to lead the community of the future generation.
3: Amen. You know, I was just with uh, several of the guys in this video in August at a training event in Kashmir. And just seeing it again, or seeing these guys again, makes my heart so proud of uh, the kind of work that's happening over there. And I know if they could stand here with you today, you'd find a heart that would beat with theirs. They are trying to plant um, a church in every single one of the government Districts 75 in Nepal, these remote places. They're on their way with 22, and they use sort of radio and FM signals and digital means to be sort of the air campaign, and then the ground campaign as workers are trained up, and it just, it fits so well with what I see you guys doing. You're 50 years old as a church. Is that 50 years old? Is that right, as a church? And uh, you're in this movement of now planting churches, and you, your hearts would just beat together with these guys, and I am so honored, along with my brother Jim, for how this congregation supports missions around the world. And so I I just, I hope that, uh, I hope that never leaves the DNA of this place. And I'm grateful to bring God's word today. It's an honor and a privilege. You know, Words of Hope does, we're in 13 fields doing 47 languages, but just doing really one thing, proclaiming the hope of Jesus in the heart languages of the hardest-to-reach places, and we do it with local people like Arben. And so thank you for helping. And now, just just would you pray with me as we dig into God's Word for a little while this morning? Father, uh, Son, and Holy Spirit, we've come to your Word today. And we need a Word for our own lives and for the world in which we find ourselves. And so I'm asking that your word would be our rule, your spirit our guide, and the glory of Jesus, our one concern, in whose name we pray. Amen. I just want to ask this question and help us maybe answer it from God's word today. What do you see when you see the church? What do you see when you see the church? The Apostle Paul planted a church in the city of Corinth. And a few years after he planted the church, he wrote them a letter called 1 Corinthians. And I just want you to hear, I want you to hear this, these verses, this portion of one of the chapters, chapter 12, which talks about the church. Paul writes this. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. The body does not consist of one part but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason be any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary. The parts of the body that we think to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no divisions in the body but that the members may have the same concern one for another. If if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What do you see when you see the church? I've uh, been preaching for a couple decades or more now and I just got to confess that a lot of times when I've seen the text on the church in First Corinthians 12 and the body and the first part, of course, is on the spiritual gifts and each of us has spiritual gifts, for too often in my ministry, I fell into the trap of, of thinking about it very practical terms of my little part of the church world or more specifically, how I could get people to build the church I was pastoring. I'm sure that never happens in that community. Usually it went something like this in August. You know, the, the Sunday school department, the children's ministry people say to the pastor, hey, we need 10 more teachers, help. So, you know, pastor rolls out a three-week series on 1 Corinthians 12 and the body of Christ. Week number one, you have a spiritual gift. If you use it, you'll be fruitful and fulfilled. So sign up today. We need 10 teachers. And like three people feel really good about their spiritual gifts and they sign up. Week number two comes along. And pastor, the teacher said, we, we, we need seven more teachers. And so rolls out week number two, spiritual gifts. And, he, you know, I don't, I don't know how the Dutch work in this area. I'm from eastern Wisconsin and from Iowa more. And, and so the Dutch there, they respond well to guilt. So pastor rolls out week number two. <laughs> if you don't use your spiritual gift, you're going to be bitter and cynical in one of those angry church people. Use your spiritual gifts and five more people sign up or six more people because they feel guilty and they'll do it. Pastor, we need one more teacher, fourth grade. So, Pastor Bob, it's a fictitious story, by the way. Uh, um, I just have tendencies towards this. Final week, he pulls up little Susie from the fourth grade Sunday school class and he says, hey, This is Susie. She's fourth grade, 10 years old. She doesn't have a teacher for Sunday school. And if she doesn't have a teacher by the end of the day, we're going to cancel fourth grade Sunday school. And studies show that if she does not receive Jesus by the time she's 14, she's destined for a life of drugs and who knows what else by the time she's 18. And so Joe is sitting in the back going, I've had enough. I just want the series to end. I'll, I'll sign up to teach fourth grade Sunday school. So out of a spirit of guilt, humiliation, shame, whatever, he does it. By Christmas, he understands he doesn't have a spiritual gift teaching children. They're never going to receive Christ by him. In April, he's making vacation plans for August, so he's not there for the next August recruitment roars, right? <laughs> what do you see when you see the church? Is it a series of programs trying to make this place great? Does it exist to meet my needs? What is the church? I so thought it was better maybe to ask what did the author of the letter think about the church when he saw the church? And I think when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he, he sees three things in this church. He sees the church he planted. He sees the church that it is, and he, and he sees the church that, that he knows God wants it to be. He sees the church he planted. He sees this, this church in Acts 18 He's on his second missionary journey, and he's stuck. He's in Turkey, and he doesn't know what to do next. He's sort of at at just a crossroads in his journey, and he cries out to God. One night, God gives a vision of a man from Macedonia in Greece calling him to come across the the open water to a new place and saying, come and teach us about Jesus. We want to hear the gospel. Come over and tell us. And so he goes over there, and he ends up in places like Philippi, and he ends up in in, in other kinds of uh, places. Let's see, where else? Philippi, Thessalonica. Like a Berea, Athens, and down to Corinth, everywhere he goes, it's not very successful. He ends up in jail, like in Philippi, it takes an earthquake to get him out, he ends up being beaten and left for dead and stoned in one place. He goes to Athens and he preaches his best sermon ever, and almost nobody comes to faith in Jesus. Maybe you've been there in your life. You've done everything you know God's called you to do, and you're kind of at the end. And then he comes to Corinth, and he starts to preach. And in Acts 18, verse 9, it tells us this. The Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And so he preaches the gospel, and the church is established, and Paul knows the church he planted. It was the city of Corinth, the sea coast of the Mediterranean, in which it was a very important city. It was a city that was economically robust and strong, that Paul knew could be a source for the work other places. It was a a church that was geographically strategic. From this location, the church could plant other churches throughout the Mediterranean by water. It was a church that was politically well-connected and educated above other places around it. It was a place where Jews and Greeks and Gentiles lived together, rich and poor, every ethnicity and diversity that Paul knew that God had called him to build the church into one body. It had everything needed for the next move with the gospel. He sees the church that he planted, and he sees the church as it is. It's just three years on when he writes the letter. And the church is falling apart. It's a church that was badly divided over leadership. Who's in charge? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. It's a church that was not just involved in sexual immorality. It celebrated the sexual immorality variety that they were engaged in as a way of Christian freedom. It was a church that saw believers suing one another in the civic courts. It was a church that was syncretizing idolatrous and Christian practices in the same worship services And it was a church that practiced social injustice. When they came together to celebrate communion and had a potluck together, the rich would go home full and the poor would go home hungry. Paul sees a church that's a mess. And you know, churches have these cycles to them, don't they? I mean, community is 50 years old. Some of you were maybe here when the church was planted. You know the original vision of being a new kind of place of worship and its vision throughout the years. You probably can also see some chapters in the church's life where you go, oh, I don't want to tell people about what happened in those years because every church has them. Paul sees the church he planted. He sees the church as it is with all of its warts and wrinkles. But he's not given up on the church. Because he knows that today is not the end of the story. He knows that that church is still the church that God called him to plant. It was the church that still has the capacity and the position to be able to be the kind of strategic place that God designed it to be. Where he said, don't stop preaching, but go on because I have many people in this city. And he knows that it's part of a bigger movement of the church in that region because in chapter 16, he's going to ask them to be a blessing back to the church in Jerusalem that's experiencing drought and famine and hunger is also experiencing more persecution from Rome and from Jewish authorities. He sees this church. He knows right now its members uh, are exerting their own power. Some feel unworthy. The public witness is tarnished. But he sees the church that God wants it to be for the future of the kingdom. And I want to give testimony today that God still has a passion for the local church to be His hope for the world. You know, uh, it was over 20 years ago I attended my first uh, Willow Creek Global Leadership Summit that right now this church is a host of, I think, for the last several years. I was here again this summer at this church in August But about 20 years ago, I'm just kind of early in my ministry and the leader of that movement, Bill Hybels, always starts every single one of those seminars, those workshops, those retreats, those, those summits with a talk in which he almost always uses this same phrase, the local church properly functioning is the hope of the world. It is the body of Christ in action on earth. And there's something freeing about that because when Paul talks about the church being the body in 1 Corinthians 12, it's not something that you have to do. You know, you don't build the body. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, when Peter makes this great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to Peter by saying, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Who will build the church? Jesus. He doesn't say, on this rock, Peter, you got to build my church. No, 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 no. He he said, Peter, I will build my church. Matthew 18, "The, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. In Ephesians 5, Paul will again call the church the body of Christ, Christ like a like a groom that loves his bride, like a man takes care of his body. It's Christ's body. Our job is not to have to make it strong or to make sure we have all kinds of Sunday school teachers and guilt people into doing stuff. Our job is to live like a body that is connected to one another in the same way that our bodies don't even think about being connected to each other. It sounds silly and ludicrous for an eye to say to the hand, I don't don't need you or a foot to say because i'm not a hand i don't belong to the body no our bodies function without even thinking about it it just does what a body does it's thanksgiving weekend which means we ate turkey we watched the lions right we did some other stuff but we also hung lights anybody hang lights this weekend Maybe you got on your ladder to put up your new LED lights that will never need a bulb replaced again, right? They'll never burn out. But what if you're on that ladder and your hand slips and eh, 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 on the aluminum gutter and you get a little cut? What does your body do? Does it think about it? Does the eye say, oh, hand, I don't need you. Does the foot say, I'm not a part of the body. I'm not helping. Oh, what happens? You feel pain. Then your eyes look to see where the pain is, and you see blood. I would probably faint and fall off the ladder because I faint at the sight of blood. And then I, my feet would get me down the ladder. My other hand would open the door of the house, take me in, and wash off the wound, bandage it, make sure it's well. Because... It tells us that God has so arranged the body, putting each person right where they belong so that it can jump into action when it sees someone suffering. It can jump into rejoicing when it sees someone rejoicing. I know that this congregation has had moments and is the kind of place where people jump into action because I've seen you do that in this community. I've seen you do it. I heard it this morning as I prayed with some of the the leaders before the first service this morning as they were caring for the body. You see, when, when you're a part of the body of Christ, the local church properly functioning, there's nothing like it in the world. And I'm engaged in a global mission ministry, but I'm here to tell you that without people like Arben on the ground in Nepal, without the local church functioning, there's not hope for that place to succeed. And God has placed the churches together where they are for a reason. It's not by accident that Community Church in Zeeland, Michigan exists. It exists to be the body of Christ to one another. But as Paul is saying for the church in Corinth, it's not just about Corinth. It's about a global relationship. And so this church is connected, all those mission trips on the screen before the service, you know, the work that Jim's doing in Alaska with his family at Eagle Crest, the work that we're doing and others, so many great ministries are doing, we're connected by the blood of Jesus, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And so those brothers and sisters do you meet in Alaska this summer, they're part of your body. When someone is hurt and wounded in this particular community, they're part of your body. When a neighboring church is going through a hard time, they're a part of your body. And the body doesn't think about it. It just jumps into action. Because, friends, there is something at stake when the believers of Jesus Christ function like a body. You are in the body because Christ has put you here. In the catechism, that we sometimes talk about, the Heidelberg Catechism, several hundred years old. The church is a body that Christ gathers and sustains and protects and nourishes by the sacrament of communion and inclusion in baptism. And he will do so until he comes again. In heaven, the church won't have to be the body because we will be with the head itself this side of heaven we get to be there for one another you know these days when I see the church let me just tell you one story I I met this guy it's a baptism picture Todd Um, I met this guy when I was in a, a Middle Eastern country in a safe house he's a Muslim was a Muslim And he had come to Christ through some of the work that we were doing with Christians on the ground there. And um, for the last few years, he's come out to this conference that that we put on. I happened to be there last March. And he'd been a Christian for a few years, he and his wife, but he'd not been baptized. And he asked me, John, will you baptize me? And I was like, it's my first mission trip doing this. I I don't know if I can, you know. Of course I can. but he's a Muslim. And so we find the missionaries home nearby and, and they agree that they will host. This is kind of a dangerous thing. We don't know sometimes in the country that we're doing this in. We think that there are secret police watching what we do, so we have to be kind of cryptic and careful about it. And, and we go into this person's house and we baptize. Now, we did make one mistake in this baptism. This is kind of the, the beginning of the baptism. Um, I don't dunk a lot of people. I've dunked a few people in my journey. We badly misjudge the body displacement ratio with water. <laughs> so the poor missionary has to clean up all this water. But it was a time of great joy. I asked the man before he went in to be baptized, he's standing in the tub, and, and I just asked him, Are you sure? And he kind of hesitated a little bit. Like maybe there was something lost in translation because we're doing it all through translation. So I asked him again, Are you sure? because in the country he's from if he's ever arrested and they want to before being a christian the first thing they'll ask him is have you been baptized because if you haven't been baptized it means you haven't been included in the body of christ so they just start throwing the quran at you to try and get you to not be baptized but if you've been baptized then they treat you like a convert which is blasphemous in their culture and who knows what can happen so I wanted to be sure that this guy's sure. He goes in the water, he comes out, and then I ask him a, a testimony. I just say, you know, I didn't really get your story. And he, and he starts his testimony off by saying, you know, when you asked me before I was baptized if I was sure, I really wasn't sure. And I went, oh my goodness, what did I just do? And he says, but then I decided, yes, I am sure. And he said, when I went into the water and the water came over my face, I felt a supernatural peace that I had never felt before. I am ready to go back to my country and to stand for Jesus. By one spirit, we were baptized into one body. Slaves and free, Jew and Greek, resident of West Michigan and a closed Middle Eastern country, I will never forget that moment. And in that moment, what grabbed me is that when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer together. I cannot not do what I do because I know that there are followers of Jesus in parts of this world that daily understand the risk of following the name. And when I see that picture, I feel that when one part of the body is honored, we all rejoice together because in that moment, I'm not there by myself. I'm there with you. I'm there with people who pray for the work that is going on. And we get to celebrate together that people like that are now in the kingdom of heaven because of the name of Jesus. When the local church is functioning, the wounded are cared for, the honored are celebrated. Can we be honest? Sometimes, you know, I grew up in a Dutch culture of Wisconsin, and in that culture, we had a hard time celebrating other people's successes. I don't know if that's true here or not. If someone else was successful, we were, oh, sure, you know, made some excuse for it. The body weeps with those who weep rejoices with those who rejoice and it seeks to carry out the mission of the head who is Jesus. And this side of heaven, the church exists to honor Christ by spreading the glory of his name so that the lost and the least can find a home in the kingdom. Amen? As you plant churches, as you are the body of Christ in West Michigan, as you reach out to the lost and least all around you, I just want to testify there is nothing like it in the world when a lost child of God comes home and you're all there with it. As you're planting congregations, as you are leading ministries in this community, as you are partnering with global partners, you're a part of something so special. Don't ever take it for granted. You know, I, I don't know what, what you particularly need today. But I would just encourage you as you walk through these next few weeks up to Christmas, Advent, I would just encourage you to live as a member of Christ's body. When you see somebody hurting around you, don't wait for a two-thirds majority of the congregational meeting to take action. Just jump in and do it. When you see a part of the body honored, celebrate it. Say, way to go. (laughs) And when you see someone who does not yet know Jesus, be the part of the body that reaches out a hand and says, come, let me tell you about a man who changed my life. Because, friends, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Until he comes again, let's be about that work. Because there is something beautiful about that name, isn't there? In his name, amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, take your word and seal it in our hearts. Give every single person that's hearing this message and this word a picture of something they are to do that we are to do this week to honor what the Spirit is sowing in us. Jesus, make your name beautiful among all your people. In your name, amen. You know, there's maybe just just one more question. What does Jesus see when he sees the church? I think the answer is quite simple. He sees you. Go and live as the church this week. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Spirit, be with you now and forever. Amen.